Well, hello again. Long time no see. I am delighted and honored to get you, give you just a glimpse of what took place this last week. I mean, you saw the recap video, you heard some testimonies from Bible studies and worship to games and service projects and a lot in between. We had a full week and God moved. He moved among our students, he moved among our leaders, he moved among the staff at camp and other churches. And I know that there were many of you uh, praying for us and I just want you to know that we, we felt those prayers. We, the Lord answered those prayers in myriad ways and we don't have time to walk through all of the different things that God was up to. To all who lifted up our trip, our students, the camp preacher, Chad Poe, and, and many other things, I just want to start by saying thank you. I'm thankful that we are a part of a church who prays for our students, who cares for them, who loves them well. We're encouraged and blessed. And I also just want to say thank you. There, there's a lot of moving parts to Summer Retreat. Those of you who have been a part of it before, either as a leader or as somebody in ministry, you know that it's just a lot, of, a lot of things going on. So I just want to take a moment to say thank you to, uh, first of all, to our staff. I mean, we brought two of our pastors with us. It's such a kindness for them. I mean, yeah, they have some skin in the game. Their kids were there, but they also served and led. And we had so many of our, our Bible study leaders, college students and youth parents who came alongside us for, for Rasha and for uh, all of the, the, the leaders who led our, our girls. They did a fantastic job for, uh, for guys like Adam and, uh, and Will and Greg and Jonathan, these guys who just poured into the lives of our students. And as well for a person who probably is going to be really upset that I'm mentioning her name, but, but our secretary, Mary Harrison, did so much so much more than probably she expected. Uh, but our trip was without a hitch. I mean, it was a great, great thing. So I'm, my heart is full. I'm encouraged by the life of our church who comes alongside us and loves us well. I'm encouraged by all of the people who give leadership to what we do. And tonight, I have the privilege of giving you a recap. And if, if you would, just hang on with me. We're going to go to a, different, a couple of different places in the, in the scriptures. But my goal is to summarize the main theme of camp and show from God's word some of the things we were taught. My prayer is that you would join us in believing these things, the believing that for us as Christians, there is so much more than we can hope or imagine. So I wanna just start off by praying with you and we'll dive into the word. Oh God in heaven, you are so kind. Lord, we didn't deserve a, a fun, powerful week at camp. We didn't deserve to go and enjoy this great fellowship and listen to wonderful biblical preaching. And yet you, the God who is full of love and compassion and generosity, blessed us beyond measure. And Lord, I pray that the blessings that you've given out to our students might overflow into the life of our church. Lord, you bless and you equip and you resource members of the body of Christ so that the whole body might find healing and joy. And so we pray that for our students, they would see that for what it is, that you've blessed them not for their own sake, but for the sake of the church. And Lord, tonight I pray that we, as the church gathered together, might be blessed once again. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we begin our time together in Mark chapter five. So if you have a Bible, you wouldn't mind turning there to Mark chapter five, 
Uh, each night, there was a different word connected to the theme of so much more. And night number one was so much more God. So much more God. And Mark chapter 5 gives us a glimpse of two kinds of people. There's a man named Jairus. Jairus was a well-to-do religious leader who had a daughter who was sick. And after Jesus came across the Sea of Galilee, he heard that he had been healing some people, and he went to go to Jesus to see if he might find compassion from him to heal his 12-year-old little girl. But we need another woman in Mark chapter, another person in Mark chapter 5, and this is a woman who has had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. And she's given everything to false doctors and bad counselors and has been made worse than she was before. But both of them believe that Jesus is able to heal. And so they go to Jesus to see if they might find what they're looking for. The woman in Mark chapter 5 especially risked everything coming to Jesus because this woman didn't fit in. She was ritually unclean, and she had been for 12 years. She'd been an outcast. It means that she wouldn't have received any kind of physical touch. It means that she wouldn't have been able to be a part of crowds or any kind of group of people. In fact, according to some religious law, people wouldn't have been able to even look her in the eye, or else they too might become unclean. So just think, for 12 years, this woman has experienced pain and suffering and isolation she was an outcast in so many ways, but she reasoned, if I could just get a hold of Jesus, if I could just touch a, the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Sometimes we might feel that way too. The world is not happy for us to be here. And we realize that where we must go is straight to Jesus. He may not change the world in that moment, but he is able to change us. So the woman who for 12 years had been isolated, ostracized, and derided, found healing in Christ. You should have Mark chapter 5 up with, in front of you. Look at verse 29. It says, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? So consider this scene. There's this crowd of people. This woman risks everything, doesn't call out unclean, unclean like she's done for the last 12 years. She sneaks into this crowd and grabs a hold of Jesus and finds healing, and now she is afraid because Jesus is trying to call her out. So he asks, who touched me? Verse 32, and he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus beautifully responds. For the first time in this gospel, he says to another person, verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. By faith, this woman found both healing and belonging in Christ. Meanwhile, in this text, we get word that Jairus' daughter has died. And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, Do not fear, only believe. I mean, it's one thing to think that Jesus can heal your sick child. 
It's another thing to believe that he can raise your dead child. But Jesus comes to him in his fear and says, do not fear, only believe. And Mark tells us later on in the passage that Jesus goes to this little girl, 12 years old, takes her by the hand and speaks a common, familiar phrase to her. Look at verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking and they were immediately overcome with amazement. God is not just able to bring healing out of sickness. He's able to bring life out of death. He's able to take something that's broken and put it together, but he's also able to take something that's completely obliterated and make it right. So much more than Jairus had anticipated happened to his family that day. And the point in all this is that God is so much more than we often think. His kindness, his compassion, his power, and more far exceed even our greatest expectations. And as we know him through his word, we will be continually stunned at both the bigness of God and his willingness to make himself lowly for our sake. So much more God. Well, we turn a couple of pages over to the end of the book, to Revelation chapter 5. We move on to the second night. We've learned that there is so much more to God. And number two, we learn that there is so much more love. We dialed in in Revelation chapter 5 on the love of God, seen supremely in the person and work of Jesus. Revelation chapter 5 depicts a heavenly scene. John is seeing this vision, the throne room in heaven, and a, a scroll is given from the throne. And no one is able to open it. And so John begins to weep. Because this scroll and this inability for anyone to open it reminds us that we do not have the equipment to take what is broken and make it right. The world has been decimated by sin. And no one in the throne room, no one on the earth was found worthy to even open the seals of this scroll. So we have a massive problem. We've sinned and the world is turned upside down and we cannot turn it back. So we need a champion. We need a savior. We need someone in our place who can do what we cannot. And in this text, look at verse 5, he is announced. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, the lion of the tribe of Judah conquered death itself, but he conquered death by dying. Something that was totally unexpected, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would rule as the son of David on David's throne forever and ever was also this suffering servant who would be wounded for our transgressions, who would give his life for the sake of others. So what John hears in this passage is a lion, but when he turns to look, he sees a lamb standing as though slain. So how do you and I know the love of God? through the atoning death of the Son. 
No matter what we may be, what, what, no matter what we may be walking through, what kind of hardship has come upon your family, what temptation the world offers you to doubt the love of God, we must remember the wounds that he bore for our sake. God the Son, the Lamb of God, took away our sins. And John tells us explicitly in one of his letters, in 1 John 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He took away the wrath of God. So that all is left for us is delight and blessing and love. Jesus gave his life so that we might know his love. So much more than we can imagine. There for us now and forever. Well, that takes us to the third day and our third stop in the Bible this morning. So go ahead and find the book of Ruth. Surprise, surprise. I chuckled a little bit. The camp pastor, Chad's name is Chad Poe. Um, he said, I don't know if anybody's ever heard a camp sermon out of Ruth, but I'm going to go through the whole book. <laughs> and it was in the providence of God last spring, not in 2022, but spring of 2021, our, our students went through Esther and Ruth. And so for a lot of our students, this was very familiar. It was a great reminder of all the beautiful things going on in this book. But the main thread that we saw for day three is that there is so much more planned. So much more planned for us. If God and his love for us are so much more than we can imagine, then we don't have to move far to realize that his plans for us are the same. Now, this is not some rosy view of Christianity that takes verses out of context and promises a life of ease for those who follow Jesus. It's a confidence that the Lord's providence over our life, no matter what comes, is good. That his plans for us, while sometimes devastatingly hard, are good. We learn this by walking through the book of Ruth. So in the time of the judges, when there was no king in Israel, there's a man named Elimelech, whose name literally means God is king. And yet he dies. Very quickly we find out he is not the main character of the story. Also, the book is not named Elimelech leaving his wife Naomi with two sons and their wives who were foreign women. They were Moabites. After the two sons die, Naomi returns to Bethlehem, bitter and broken. But Ruth refuses to leave her. She loves Naomi and commits her life to her. And so we know the story, don't we? Ruth, this barren, foreign widow, finds favor in the eyes of a noble man named Boaz, who we find out is one of their family's redeemers. He blesses Ruth for her commitment to Naomi. And in chapter 2, verse 12, he, he prays this over her. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Ruth or Naomi would not have volunteered for this pathway. They wouldn't have volunteered for their husbands to die. They wouldn't have volunteered to come back bitter and broken and destitute. But here we are, and Boaz is praying this prayer over her. And just one chapter later, we realize that Boaz himself will ultimately be the answer to his own prayer. God uses him as a redeemer, finally marrying Ruth and caring for Naomi. And the book of Ruth ends with the Lord blessing them with a child named Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse, who is father to David, the king. Again, Ruth and Naomi would not have volunteered for this plan. 
but they surrendered their lives to the Lord and faithfully moved forward in his good providence. And we too, remembering that God's plans are better than our own, should be stirred up to trust him afresh. When we look at the example of the steadfast love of Ruth, the commitment that she has, we might be reminded of our own lives and stirred up to be faithful like Ruth, to trust that God's plans are good and kind, even when they seem dark and dim. That finally leads us to the last night where we were reminded very bluntly that camp is not the real world. It's like Disney World for Christians, right? It's easy. It's fun. It's structured to maximize faithfulness. Like, what are you doing today? Reading the Bible. What are you doing today? Serving other people. It's hard to get away from this structure But when we come back from camp, we come back to the real world. Broken families, strained relationships, other difficulties surround us. And for those who didn't go to camp, you never left that, did you? We all live in this world, broken by sin. And so we saw on the fourth day that there is not just so much more to God, so much more to his love, and so much more planned for us, but there is so much more power that we have access to as believers. We saw the contrast of this real world and this fantasy world in Mark chapter 9. So this is where we'll land the plane tonight. Back and forth, back and forth. In Mark chapter 8, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus is very pleased with that confession. So much so that just like a couple of verses later, he calls him Satan because he missed it, which is encouraging for me, right? Like it's encouraging to know that I can be so right right here at this one time and then so wrong just a couple of verses later. And Jesus is like, I'm going to call you out, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. And we see that because in Mark chapter nine, he takes Peter and James and John up to a mountaintop and he reveals his transfigured glory to them. And yet the very next passage after the Mount of Transfiguration is the healing of a demon-possessed boy. So on the literal mountaintop, Peter, James, and John caught a vision of the glory of Jesus, but as they came down, they immediately descended back into chaos. The father of the boy for years had been trying to find healing for his son. The demon would often try to harm or even kill him. You flip over with me to verse 21. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. For years, this father has had to have his eyes locked in on this boy. Like, I was at camp for a week, and I'm tired. And I can't imagine the kind of exhaustion, the kind of weariness, the kind of hopelessness that might come with over and over and over and over again trying to take care of someone who cannot take care of themselves. Some of you know exactly what that's like. And so the only thing this man can muster before Jesus is, if you can do anything, would you have compassion? 
Would you, would you help us? And Jesus responds in verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can. I love that. In the midst of this brokenness, Jesus has not lost any confidence. He's not lost uh, the, himself in the context of what's going on. He says all things are possible for one who believes. Which leads us to this Father's honest profession and our great hope for life as a believer. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And so Jesus saw that the crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out, convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. You see, God in his great kindness has not left us alone. Although he has taken away our sin, he's taken away our guilt, he's taken away our shame, he didn't leave us alone. In his great kindness, he has given us his very spirit to dwell within us. So that when our faith falters, he remains steadfast. When doubts creep in through the sorrows of our life, the spirit empowers us to press on. When anxiety and worry threaten to overwhelm us, God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We have so much more available to us because God has given us himself and he's given us one another. So here we are, back from camp. We've learned many things, but we pray that you might join us in believing that God his love, his plans, and his power are so much more than we can imagine. And he's inviting all of us, even now, to grow in all that he has for us. So as we come to a time of invitation, Adam is going to come up with praise team. We're going to sing and respond. Just being reminded of the goodness of God and his grace. And I, I assume that the vast majority of us in this room know and love Jesus. We would say that we are in Christ. And if that's you, praise God. You might be uh, able to respond with thanksgiving and a grateful heart. But for those who still seem like they're wandering out in the darkness, to those who feel hopeless like the father of these sick and dying children, if you come to Jesus, all of your problems will not go away. But you might have hope, the kind of hope that Jackson talked about earlier. The kind of hope that says, I know that I'm not promised all of my problems being fixed today, but I know that one day they will be. I know that I'm not promised that all of the things going on in my life will immediately become easy, but I know that one day there won't be any more pain. There won't be any more tears. There won't be any more crying. No sorrow, no sin. Only life in God. There's so much more that God has for each of us. There's so much more he has for our church. So as we stand and as we sing, we might respond with grateful hearts, asking him to show us what he has for us. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.